Okay, welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz and Adam, I was following you on Twitter while it's still around. I guess we're going to talk about that in a bit, but I, I was I thought you were serious about the sparkly fire trucks. I had to do some digging. I thought for mm-hmm. sure that our town was getting sparkly fire trucks, which wouldn't be a bad thing, but <laughs> this shows you context is everything, right? Yeah, don't show up in the middle of a Twitter thread, um, especially like, when it's yeah. it's a mock mock council meeting to test all the technology and things. It's um, not a bad idea. What's all the? It, it was the toast of the the post inaugural soiree mm. on, on Tuesday night. It was like, hmm, that's a great idea. Let's get on that. But I have a feeling uh, there are bigger fish to fry for the city staff right now than sparkly fire trucks. Imagine so. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, this also happened after I did the interview with our uh, guest this week, so we can't really dig into it. Anyway, since it was her motion, her fake motion, Open <laughs> Sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be our new Ward 1 City Councilor, Aaron Caton. I got to tell you, it's going to be really refreshing to have two Ward 1 counselors who will come on the show. But this week, uh, Councillor Caton <laughs> will talk to us about her first few days as a city councillor and the first big challenge of the term, which is Bill 23. Uh, that will be at the bottom half of the hour, though. Before that, we're going to get into some news items from the last week, including Twitter, as Scotty alluded to. Elon Musk bought the platform for way too much money, and now he's flushing all that money down the drain, and we will ask why. But first, uh, COP27 is wrapping up. For those of you who don't know, COP stands for, and it's, I guess there's a reason why they don't go COP, because it's Climate Change Conference of uh, Parties. Um, so that's what the COP stands for, or I should say COP. Um it's meeting at uh, Sharm El Sharm El Sheikh in Egypt this year, and there's been a lot going on. Lots, a lot going on in the outside, uh, not just what's going on inside the the conference too. But you know, the Earth's crossed. Um, well, we don't know for absolute certainty, but uh, the best we can assume is that Earth crossed eight billion people this week in just less than twelve years. So we are now on our way to nine billion people. And uh, there was a report last week that uh, we had record levels of greenhouse gas in the atmosphere at 36.6 billion. And, uh, you know, we have all this going on while uh, the COP conference is going on. And you had this um, kind of fissure at the COP conference around whether or not uh, rich countries should be paying poor countries uh, compensation for uh, suffering the slings and arrows of uh, climate disaster which is affecting poor countries and um, smaller countries before it is affecting us here. Just wondering what the temporary air conditioning bill was in Sharm El Sheikh. <laughs> it's probably pretty high, but well, well it is yeah. a desert. It's a dry heat. Mm-hmm. I saw a BBC person on with a suit on like, Oh man, that can't be good. So yeah, the private jets and the petrol executives have once again convened <laughs> from the world over. And uh, still have not mastered the pronunciation of Glasgow, which was the last uh, conference. And as you know, I I don't trust anybody that can't pronounce that. So 
yeah, they're still talking about Glasgow a bit because there were uh, certain, do we call it benchmarks or goals or a kind of sort? It's always a kind of sort of maybe with this stuff. I think the mm-hmm. focus, one of the focus, focuses, focusy in uh, Glasgow was coal. Let's mm-hmm. reduce. And they, they tend to zero in on something to make it seem like uh, a lot is happening. But uh, as we know, that's not the case. But yeah, as you said, this uh, this time around, the focus is on damage and insurance and who will pay. And that leans into who is liable for climate change. And this is probably the main point of at least causing some consternation. Uh, I heard um, John Kerry commenting on it saying that they you know the u.s would never sign on to something that assigns blame Mm -hmm. so we're at this point now where it's like they're calling it uh was it loss and damage the loss and damage fund a loss and damage mechanism where it's okay will the wealthy countries who are causing most of the emissions greenhouse gases etc and all the factors that go with that are they going to help the global south in their recovery whatever that is even though there's there are nations and who was i it was tuvalu and vanuatu mm-hmm. are quite possibly going to disappear so <laughs> you know i'm not sure how you compensate that because it would be completely gone uh these are the kinds of effects that are just seemingly can't be stopped agreements or otherwise uh, and it uh, it does again. It looks like I guess you know the the, the major the, the leaders have come and gone. They've all gone on to Bali, and a lot of them. Mm. So now it's pretty much the um, I don't know. I guess the technocrat class that are left, but also the the uh, representatives from other countries and the um, protesters, which we've seen as well, uh, to try and hack something out. And it's always last. I guess it's supposed to be Friday, but there'll be the, there'll be the inevitable. Well let's just stay an extra day and sort this out. But Mm. I don't know. We'll see what they come up with. Yeah. If anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing is um, somebody pointed out, you know, you have um, a panel on, you know, hosted by what's the group I'm looking for. See, this is what happens when you complete your notes and then hours later do the show. You can't read your writing. (laughs) But no, there there was a group like hiding having a the, the um like a is, is a it somebody corporate like well I'm I'm getting there yeah there was oh, like yeah. a group that that's like specializes in like the protection of like protester rights having hmm. uh like a panel about uh in Africa Latin America Asia where places where like a lot of like the serious mining is done protesters of mining like disappearing or like getting killed like oh look they slipped up on a banana peel and broke their neck um like like quote quote unquote accidents um and then right after that there's a uh, a panel about like sustainable mining practices so you have like these two things side by side where you have like this serious issue of like hey do you think maybe mining companies are disappearing protesters followed by mining completely sustainable everyone it's cool we're just digging up the earth and taking out the precious metals underneath absolutely no harm there and and so it it led to this uh piece in the conversation a professor at the university of london named um bobby Banerjee, who wrote a piece like 
you know, this is kind of pointless. I've been to five of these. I'm never going back again <laughs> because it's all a corporate gong show. It's happening at this resort in Egypt, and it is a resort um, where, you know, there are six swimming pools. So, you know, you go out and lounge around and someone pours you like bottomless drinks and um, just chill out and hang around with your corporate cronies and uh, do the other things. And, you know, nothing you do will have any substantive weight. It's it's going to be like we have some aspirational stuff we've passed, but then it's like, okay, uh, do you have to get this done by a certain date? No. <laughs> no, none of this is legally binding. Even when we say it's legally binding, it's really not. So it, it's, I mean, it's spectacularly unimpressive. And I guess maybe once upon a time, you know, maybe pre-Trump era, you could make a case that, okay, good, yay, the, the world's finally getting together and taking this seriously. But when you have, you know, John Kerry, who is, his job is like climate change czar and in the United States coming out and go like, no, we're not going to accept blame when you're uh, a leader of a country that has 5% of the population, but 25% of the emissions, you know, that that's, that doesn't really say we're taking this seriously, especially when the UN international organization for migration pegs the number of people currently displaced by climate disasters every year as 22 million and expected to rise as high as 143 million. You know, we think a climate disaster in our own backyard is like when basements flood in the spring, mm -hmm. but you know, this is nothing compared to like places like Somalia where there's um, droughts and a million people are displaced where it's like a, non a nonstop drought for 40 years. I mean, when you think about that, when you think about 22 million people, that's, you know, everyone in Ontario, well, a little more than everyone in Ontario moving to Quebec, you know, to, to evade a climate, a climate disaster situation. So it's just, you know, we almost literally live in two different worlds on this um, where poor countries are being hit with these massive disasters that cause actually cause climate refugees. And, you know, here we are, a climate disaster is like today when it snowed three centimeters and everyone's everyone's feels like they got caught with their pants down. <laughs> That's a and climate disaster in Ontario. <laughs> yeah. Somebody makes that inevitable joke about what, what climate change it's snowing. Oh, yeah. 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 What have we learned? We've learned nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and couple that with the number I heard was six hundred fossil fuel lobbyists. Mm -hmm. So it's like a trade. You've been to trade shows, Adam, of course, and so have I. Yeah. I used to work yeah. at them, and and there is there's this kind of um, carnival quality to it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like the it's like going to the acts, right? There'll be uh, booths, and supposedly like that, there'll be an NGO that's working really hard on certain things and they'll have this sliver of a booth but then the ones with the money will have these giant displays and it sounds like that's kind of what's going on uh when you <laughs> when you've got that many th it, this is the the classic both sides all good people on all sides argument right it's like yeah, they're, yeah. they're gonna be there and uh, there was somebody taking uh photos of the lobbyists at the back of the room kind of doing the you know the not quite the scowl but sort mm -hmm. of letting known that they were there and you can see why people like Greta Turnbergs just said forget it I'm not going to go the thing sponsored by Coca-Cola like <laughs> why would I go to this and you know I bet there were people at Cope One who were like oh, this is never going to amount to anything because the ideas that come out of it are always released with this 
sense of enthusiasm and hope we've heard like kyoto yeah. the the paris agreement and yeah we need, we need to and we've we've come up with these numbers and we'll focus on these things but even the uh coal agreement made in glasgow last year was sort of dumbed down to become not quite aspirational it's like okay we're going to eliminate coal we're going to get rid of coal as power and it's like oh can we just can we just say that we're going to reduce it i'm not sure if that came from india but india is, is a massive uh coal user mm. uh, even though you know the per capita emissions are low i think it's something like three quarters of their electricity uh and and they the, they came out this time around saying well we want to you know we we should reduce everything we should just reduce all if the goal is to reduce all fossil fuels to a degree, not completely, obviously, because we can't, at least at this point with current technology, um, that would sort of take the pressure off them having to reduce coal. And couple that with the other issues that are going on in the world, particularly the war in Ukraine, mm. um, has led to countries like Germany reneging on their own plan beyond Kyoto or beyond any of them, Paris, you name it, was oh we're gonna we're gonna get rid of coal completely. We're gonna keep a little bit on hand, uh, just just in case. Well, just in case happened. They never they're never expecting just in case to happen, and it has. Mm. And it's some of this. It's dirty. It's lignite, dirty coal. So mm -hmm. we see that in places like Germany, Poland. Uh, there are lots of of countries and 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 uh, uh, India as well. Function on the dirty. It's not. It's not. There is no clean coal, but lignite is one of the worst. So mm. it's, you know, they have these discussions like, well, you know, we should kind of sort of maybe get rid of coal. But then, of course, when the reality hits and there's cold people or people with no electricity to fuel the economy, uh, then it just gets thrown out the window. Mm. And it's like, oh, you know, we'll have a, you know, the next cope and they'll be like, oh, we're, we're sorry. We're, there's nothing that we could do. And then the, the youngins that have gone from across the world. And there seems to be, a, I don't know if it's because of Greta Thunberg, but there seems to be a focus on the young people going, bless them. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there's lots of older people, at these conferences that were the young people 20 years ago that have ended up in, in the fray. Right. And I did see one that was a, not a confrontation, but th there'll be those panels, like you mentioned. And then some, somebody will get up. One of them was actually, uh, Ukrainians yelling at Russians. So this is crossover. It's it's not just uh, it goes beyond climate with yeah. certain topics. But one was a young Canadian woman who had, had come and and uh, uh, they're just walking away from her. You know, it's like no, you don't get to. Yeah, no it's no presser for you. You don't get even even get to say anything, even if it's you know calm and measured. And it's it's also worth pointing out that Egypt, you know, has come down like a ton of bricks on protesters at this. Like there's a there's a green zone um for for protests before you even get to Sharm el Sheikh um so it, it's like it's become like even a G20 G, one of those G7 G20 things where we're going to have like the protest zone um so that you know you're not bothering like the fat cats and the politicians as they're trying to get things done you know um so I mean that that's the point you kind of lose people and you know <laughs> environment used to be like the issue for protesters and agitators and now that's kind of been taken away from them. What's interesting too is um another aspect of this that's that hasn't gotten mentioned. Not that this not that COP27 really gets mentioned at all uh when you watch the news, but there was a protest group there that was trying to get uh like some direction from COP on um, meat production, meat and dairy production, because livestock accounts for twenty, actually twenty percent of greenhouse gas emissions. And so, if we could reduce how much meat we eat, 
and I'm not like I like meat. I like <laughs> meat. I'm just saying I like meat, but you know maybe we could produce a little bit less of it. And also, I mean, along with that are issues like um, affordability because you know God knows uh, you can buy lettuce and uh, some tomatoes, or you could you know buy a box of hamburgers and probably mm-hmm. for the same price. So um, that that's just like one aspect of this that doesn't get talked about um, because we pay so much little so little time and attention to this that they never have to produce anything at these things and and then we we go about life as usual as we keep adding billions of people to the planet as we keep letting the the amount of greenhouse gas go up every year but speaking of hot air uh we got a (laughs) (laughs) got a segue to uh blue air right (laughs) yeah events on twitter Elon Musk uh, is desperately trying to uh, stay on top of the story, uh, which is that Twitter is faltering because he can't stop firing people, even when they make fun of him in the company Slack. (laughs) Uh, uh, Meanwhile, his plans to create a subscriber service failed disastrously. Last week, he is offending advertisers. Um, Apparently, he is completely out of control, uh, even some of his most trusted yes men aren't coming his to his defense um, to the point where people are even talking about maybe Twitter goes bankrupt and maybe it goes away. And, uh, you know, these aren't kind of idle threats. This is something that seems like it can actually happen because it was reported that there are now so few engineers at the company. If there's uh, an outage to the service, it can't. It it might take a while for it to get back online, just because there aren't there isn't the people power there. And meanwhile, he sends out this company wide press release today about how everyone on staff needs to go and I quote extremely <laughs> hardcore or leave the company. So <laughs> hardcore means something different now, I think, than it used to, does it? Or I did in the corporate world, maybe. Uh, I mean, it's like it's, Descon three or whatever, which is also a Twitterism, right? And be like, what? Um, what are you talking about? Yeah. It's either a, a Twitterism for a very select set of um, bigots, or it's uh, we're going to save it for Bon Apple Tea, the subreddit. Um, but anyway, yeah. So that's that's a that's a quick that's as quick a snapshot of what's going on Twitter as I've gone out going on at Twitter as I can make it. <laughs> Yeah, well, well done. You did. You covered a lot there, and there is a lot going on. I, I mean, I had. I'm sure you did too. A really good laugh at the fake verified accounts. Oh yeah, that's the most laughs I've had in in a while. You come up with this idea about okay, you pay for your verification, and then so everybody's paying for verifications, getting verified as people that they weren't, including you know uh, Premier Doug Ford, which was pretty mm-hmm. hilarious. Mm-hmm. Pierre Polyev, Ben Shapiro. You know, it just wasn't. It was wild for a while there i mm-hmm. think the ford one is gone uh, i think they're I all gone i don't know probably administered too directly by elon musk because it sounds like he's doing comms it sounds like he's doing the damage control himself it's like people will will at him and then he just says okay well this is what we're it's like what really like <laughs> this is what you're doing now i guess since he's fired everybody and and one of those too was somebody uh i guess he took a shot at uh the slowness of the thing or some coding that was done. And one of the engineers was said, no, that's actually incorrect. And then he's like, okay, you're fired. Yeah. Yeah. Get fired. This and this is all in real time on Twitter fired by tweet, which is now a thing. I mean, I guess beyond 
Yeah. Who does that sound like? <laughs> on Twitter itself. But again, so much for free speech. Like it's 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 okay yeah. as long as it's not coming from inside of the house. Right. Then we won't tolerate it at all. Right. So yeah, what a way to run a railroad, right? So um <laughs> and of course the people that are on it, which includes you and me, I haven't really chimed in on it too much, but there's a lot of people thinking the thing's going to collapse and coming up with other things like Slack or, as I joked about a couple of weeks ago, Mastodon, which I'm on, but I don't fully understand yet. Or I don't even know if I'll deep dive into it. And it's, you know, you say to yourself, is this the end of this important as, as you can attest to? Because it's, it's it's part of your, I wouldn't say gravy, but you know, you, you, you rely on it for what you, I follow your tweets. Right. So it's like, okay, if this, if this thing collapses, right. Uh, what do we do? What fills the void or does it collapse? Does, does Musk step aside as has been rumored and get somebody to be the CEO who can take all the heat and the blame, but also maybe right the ship a little bit. And, and Musk can be uh, more of a silent partner that he needs to be by the looks of it. Cause this is, this is a train wreck. Well, here, I mean, here's the thing is um, there's been this debate a long time about like social media platforms. Are they tech companies? Are they mm-hmm. um, publication companies? I think this is, this is the case that proves um, if, if you're an engineer and you're working at a quote unquote tech company and it's not working, maybe it's not a tech company. Maybe it is a media company. And I think in the case of Musk, because you're right, like I use Twitter. I mean, I crap post like anyone on Twitter, but I also use Twitter as a tool to convey bites to take events happening at council meetings and debates and committee meetings and things and turn them into like bite sized little info bits that you can digest one right after the other instead of like forcing a, a five course meal down <laughs> into your brain at that <laughs> all at one time. Um, it is a viable community tool um, used by a lot of people. And it's, it's, it's not a game. I, I think Elon Musk came into this, like I'm going to be the free speech warrior and I'm going to free Twitter's potential. And here, here's the thing is like Elon Musk isn't a dumbass. Um, he He's been very successful. Like he, he's the reason why maybe not the reason, but he's at least nine tenths of the reason why uh electric vehicles are so viable now he helped reignite you know um space travel by you know commercializing space to a certain degree with spacex um you know also in in that instance too like you know feeding on the carcass of 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 companies like lockheed martin and things like that like old dinosaurs of, of that industry so it's not like he's a dummy but um he's clearly in over his head here um, whatever game he thought he was going to play as the head of Twitter clearly isn't working. And whatever mess he was trying to clean up has now been surpassed by by the mess that he's created. And what does he go back to? He goes back to these like frat boy superlatives. Like, we're going to go extremely hardcore to set up Twitter, you know, <laughs> yeah. the next, next Twitter. And it's like, well, that's fine if you have a reputation of like, working 120 hours a week and sleeping on the factory floor. I don't think that's necessarily the good news thing people try to sell it as, but you know, it's, I don't think putting your nose to the grindstone is what's going to turn things around here. You need to sort of remove the, 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 
the reason why everything is so um, frictious right now. And Elon Musk is the reason. The question is, will he listen to anyone who says maybe you should step aside, man? That's that's the big question. Like if, if things get so bad, um, because he's leveraged to the hilt too. Um, like his one successful company, Tesla. That's what he. That's what he. You know, leveraged to buy Twitter. So he's he's screwed five hundred different ways on this. The question is, will he put ego aside to to save Twitter and save himself? That's a big question. Well, this is part of the problem with the modern robber baron is that yeah. ego is so huge. Yeah, you get the spaceships and all even the way you present yourself and image and all of that stuff and with the let's call it the hardcore ultimatum he is expecting by right about now when this airs thursday at five that the employees will have answered and it's like going hardcore means pretty much violating all known labor law right yeah. it's just like yeah. if you're willing to do that in your capacity as the the billionaire boy that's running this thing you go ahead but high intensity equates to like you're just going to be burnt mm -hmm. it's like he he's saying okay the half of the 50 percent of you that are left you need to step up i'm going to burn you out you're probably going to quit anyway and it'll just collapse even further rather than take a step back and say okay these are the folk that know what they're doing mm -hmm. you know do you do you treat and I guess you do because you're a billionaire you don't care you're, you're going to treat these people like the you know the foreign workers in Qatar that have built the world cup capacity mm -hmm. thousands dead many you know that that kind of thing you're you're effectively saying i'm going to turn this thing into a sweatshop so it can feed my ego rather than do what it was designed to do and i'm still not i mean i i don't know we don't have time to talk about it i guess i don't know how <laughs> twitter makes money i really don't oh it doesn't yeah so it's like <laughs> It's it the kind of thing that should probably be non-profit, right? It is the kind of thing that shouldn't like, is it and is it worth 44 billion? No, it wasn't. I think you'd be hard pressed to say that this thing is worth even a billion, especially if the, if the advertisers that are there mm -hmm. uh, are running away. Yeah. Yeah. If that's the case, then it's, it's not, it's not worth anything. It's, you know, it's going into like crypto territory when the, which is collapsing as well. Right. <laughs> it's Yeah. Crypto is collapsing. Too. Twitter is possibly collapsing. Facebook laid people off. Meta, I mean, sorry. Meta, yeah. And, company, and, like, and, is are, are we? Is is this the, the the fall of social media as we know it? And what? I don't know if it's. At least I don't think it's going to be Mastodon that rises from the ashes. And I've seen jokes about BBS is coming back, and I'm like that might not be a bad thing. Well, this is, I mean, this is the thing is that there's really kind of no viable replacement for Twitter. I say yet. Um, but uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of tumult out there. And I think that's sort of been, you know, since Silicon Valley came into existence in the 80s, that's sort of been the, the, the kind of that, that, that's the kind of business that existed. It's, it's an extremely um, tumultuous business, and um, I, I think we're just sort of feeling it, feeling like we're in a, an especially tumultuous moment now. Speaking of tumultuous moments, um, we're going to talk about, uh, or talk to rather, one of the people who just swore an oath to King Charles III to give Guelph some good governance. You're listening to Open Sources Guelph. You're on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. So in love. It's nice. 
that is from the number one album on this week's CFRU chart. The album is called Malocchio. <laughs> and I believe it was hatched in a bunker very near mine, down here <laughs> in the ward. The band is the mighty, mighty Bonnie Trash, local heroes. And the song was called Silence is a Killer. Mm. What's All the hidden, true. What's the hidden message here this week? I, I don't know if there is one. It's a listen to your Nona, I think, is the, is the message. Because <laughs> the Malocchio might come for you. So. <laughs> That's the, probably the most Guelph thing we could play maybe ever. So The whole album is definitely, oh man, I can't say enough about it. All right. Well, ward music is a good way to ward uh, to uh, wind up our interview with, uh, although Ward 1 isn't technically representing the ward it's anymore. It's still the ward! All right. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> we, Topic uh, for another time. Yeah. We had a chance to interview the new Ward 1 counselor, Aaron Caton. They appeared on uh, our election series uh, earlier this election cycle, I believe back in September. Aaron Caton was one of the first uh, candidates to join us, if I remember correctly. So they are uh, already known to you, the open sources audience, and you will now get to know them better as one of the Ward 1 counselors. So we talked about their first couple of days as counselor, plus all about what to expect in next week's debate about how Guelph should react to Bill 23. All that and more. Here is Aaron Caton starting right now. Okay, Aaron Caton, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Uh, first of all, congratulations on being the new Ward 1 City Councillor. I haven't had the chance to say that to your face, um, so to speak. So um, big accomplishment, a lot of competition, and uh, just congrats for uh, running the gauntlet and, and winning the race. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. I owe it all to everybody who got out there and voted. Well, let's... let's uh, explore that a little more uh, thoroughly then. Um, from your point of view, uh, what made the difference for you as a as this, as a Ward 1 candidate? There's a lot of stiff competition in your ward. Uh, so why why did the people choose Aaron Caton as opposed to one of the uh, four other challengers? Well, there's actually a lot of really good people running. So um, I, I think it just has to do with who you meet and who you connect with at the door. Um, I did a lot of online media and um, that was kind of the one thing that I think that I did a slightly differently than uh, everybody else. And just the, I guess the power of Instagram, who knew? <laughs> uh, I literally was just walking for three and a half months with uh, a couple of volunteers and just going door to door, door to door, door, and uh, trying to meet as many people as I could. So I'm, I'm glad that I got to chat people up and actually tried to help them with their issues. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that actually made a difference. Mm -hmm. So we're talking on Monday. Uh, the, or the big inaugural is tomorrow night as we're recording. Um, but you spent most of the weekend in orientation. What can you tell us about what the orientation experience has been like uh, just in terms of maybe what you're learning and um, are you doing trust falls and things like that in orientation? 
<laughs> oh, I, I can't get into too many of the details because it was a uh, closed session. Mm -hmm. um, but we were just learning the, the general, what you need to know as a counselor, who the staff are, who you're supposed to talk to, new processes that they're kind of putting in. There's a lot of really cool stuff that's going to be coming out. And I'm really excited about that. But I can't talk about it yet. <laughs> and um, there, like, no trust falls. <laughs> but there's a lot of, you know, speakers and um, talking to each other about how we can improve things and work together. And then um, on the second day, we kind of did tours. And we did a bus tour where all of us picked out areas in our wards for stuff that we wanted the other counselors to see and like various issues that we wanted to solve. Um, we got to stop at the uh, world's worst bus stop and I got to show people the sidewalk to nowhere, which is all near the library on the East end. Right. And um, <laughs> That was kind of funny <laughs> as a general tour stop. Uh, but they, we also got to go and, meet up with different groups that are doing a lot of really cool things in Guelph. And we went to Tennessee and we had a food tour by Tasty Tours. There is the, um, I'm going to mangle some other names probably because there are just so many groups there, but um, food.ca did some things and the harvest impact market and our, um, uh, I'm trying to remember their name. They're the sustainable food kind of group. They right. help with popular food economy. Right. Um, but they're all really, really great. And then we got to go to different restaurants and things, which made me feel a little bit spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound very spoilery. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, in terms of some of those things, I, I mean, I'm curious um, on that bus tour, you mentioned a couple of things, but, you know, in terms of drawing your fellow counselors attention to stuff going on in Ward 1, I assume this is probably based on some of those conversations you were talking about too. So, I mean, what are the, I guess, what are the important stops in Ward 1 that you wanted to highlight? Uh, well, there's a lot of inaccessibility and um, safety hazards and infrastructure um, that's missing, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a, this general rule um, that we've been following up till now where you a lot of infrastructure is dependent on development in the area right. because doing it as the city, there might be some throwaway costs. But um, one of the things I was trying to showcase in my campaign is that people still need to use things. And especially when you're waiting for things like the Loblaws, which is kind of like the Loch Ness monster <laughs> of developments at this point, um, you know, it's gonna be a long time till you see it, right? So we can't just wait on those things in order to make things usable for people who are taking the bus and need to cross the street. I wanted to ask you about uh, collaborating with your other, the other Ward 1 counselor, Dan Gibson. Have you guys had a chance to put your heads together about where you want Ward 1 to go? Yeah. Um, so because I don't unmask indoors, um, I was eating outside for my food stops and, uh, <laughs> And like before, I don't think anyone realized I was doing that in the initial <laughs> stages. But then uh, Dominique, she's like, "Are you eating outside?" I'm like, "Yeah." She's like, "I'm gonna eat you with you." So like everybody took a turn with me, kind of outside. Um, and and uh, Dan and I got to have uh, a great conversation when we were at the last stop, and we talked about the different priorities we both have, and uh, we were trying to think of 
different compromises we need to kind of get each other to support those. And for the most part, we agreed on everything. So it wasn't really that much compromise. <laughs> but um, <laughs> We've got a lot of really cool things that we want to get done for people. So we're just trying to think of the best paths to do that. And, you know, when you've got a job where you're both sharing uh, resources and trying to help the same people, like how do we coordinate that? Right. And kind of seamless and easy on all of the residents. I noticed over the weekend they added a special meeting to the agenda for November 23rd, which is going to be about Bill 23, the More Homes Building Faster Act. Um, I'm curious, in the midst of all the prep you're doing about, you know, just being a city councillor, have you had a chance to really sort of dig into Bill 23 and um, made a note of any concerns you might have? Well, it just generally looks concerning. Like I haven't had a chance to dive too, too deep into it. Um, we had a chance to ask staff for kind of clarification and details um, that we needed to kind of talk about that bill and um, how it's going to impact. Well, so I have a lot of things that I'm waiting for the data on. So before I can like give a full overview of how I feel on it, but um, it doesn't, look good right that's <laughs> a really short timeline to try to pass things and it seems like it's going to have a huge cost impact on mm -hmm. the city and not necessarily result in more housing than we already have approved because i'm waiting on the numbers for this but that's one of the things i was asking about was how much housing that we already have approved that just hasn't started development and why those things are happening so um i don't think that it actually meets the goal that they claim it's supposed to mm. i don't think it's gonna really help us in terms of getting housing do you feel a bit like doug ford and the provincial government sort of throwing you into the deep end not that you weren't in the deep end already but you know you get elected on monday and they release this huge piece of legislation is essentially an omnibus bill on tuesday you know that it's a lot to sort of put on not just you as a new councillor, but, you know, the, the hundreds of new councillors around Ontario. Yeah, it, it does kind of feel like there is a lot of um, timing that <laughs> was kind of put into that, you know, right. like as soon as you get elected and then you're like, oh, deal with this fire. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm not going to necessarily comment on who lit that match and why. But <laughs> <laughs> Fair it's enough. Definitely something that I now have to put out, um, but it's. I think that from what I've been just hearing online from all of the other people who are also like across the province, that no one's particularly thrilled about it. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, it, it's not going to help more than it's going to hurt. Right, and I mean, on top of this, this isn't like city of Guelph. I, city, the city of Guelph doesn't pass legislation; it passes bylaws. But I mean, it's not city of Guelph legislation, and you know, with these things, there's always a question about what kind of influence that you know municipalities can have when the province decides to you know rewrite the rules midstream. Um, is that a consideration for you? Just like how much leverage you and the council as a group can exercise when trying to. I guess, get the, the provincial government to have a sober second thought about this? Well, I think just like with anything that the provincial government does, um, council has kind of a duty to respond, right? And then you make the 
you know, everybody else, local voters aware of how that's going to impact them and their property taxes and their own personal developments and like how that impacts like every permit issue. Not like, you know, those things are happening really quickly right now anyway. Mm. But as soon as you take um, one group of developers and you make them the priority, then everyone else is going to get put on the back, like the backlist, right? So you're just going to either make the situation where you have to like hire a whole bunch of staff and that's going to make the permits all go up and that makes permits go up for everybody, not mm. just developers. Right. So this is something that's going to impact people all the way down the line. And we need to kind of make people aware of the actual output. Right. When you're, when you're sort of out there campaigning and people are talking about concerns about housing and given, you know, sort of what you understand about Bill 23, is um, is there any overlap at all between what the provincial government thinks of solutions and what the general public, like the problems the general public want solved? Well, there's doesn't look like in that bill that there's any mandate for affordability or accessibility or anything. It's just, you know, they want you to pass permits real quick or else. Right. That's that's the crux of it right so there it's not going to actually help you get low income housing like those kinds of things aren't going to get cheaper when you have to make the permit costs you know x number of percent higher in order to get it done in the two weeks that they've got mandated right right and um permits are not hard to go through like they didn't take long if you actually follow the rules that are in there right like it's only when you have um, deviations from what you're allowed to build that you come to us at all. Right. right? And so um, it's all about things that don't fit the model that we've set out. And if they don't fit that model, then you're going to have to be a little bit suspicious as to why they need to have that extra two weeks push to get through. It's not because they're, you know, a bunch of accessible apartments and they're ranking income and they've got ample parking and they're going to have, you know, grocery stores in the bottom and stuff like that. That's not what's happening. It's going to be things that are going to be creating extra density and, um, you know, changing the light in your yard and like all of the things that you don't want to happen. Right. um, Those are the kinds of things that are going to try to get pushed through. Oversight is not bureaucracy, I think is, is what we're kind of getting at too. Um, So, I mean, with all these considerations, um, I mean, it's a lot to put on even the experienced counselors had this come in and on November 23rd, first real meeting and say, you know, how do you want to respond to the provincial government? So um, have you I mean, you, you said you're still waiting for some information from staff. So, I mean, do you have any consideration for what you want to see come out of that meeting in terms of of direction? Like, even if it's just like, hey, provincial government, slow down, you know, we're it's our first day. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, like I, I don't think that it, it seems kind of heavy handed, right? And it seems like an overreach on their behalf. Right. There's a lot of things that just over the last couple of governments have been pushed back onto municipalities and pushed back onto municipalities in terms of responsibility and funding. And uh, then we kind of get put in this position where we get half the control 
but all the responsibility for the outcome. And um, that doesn't seem not only is it just not fair, but it's not effective, right? Mm. Because you end up with a bunch of things that are done improperly and no one's happy at the end, right? Right. So there's a reason why there's a process and there's a reason why it takes a certain amount of time to get things done is because you have to look at the outcomes on, you know, uh, First Nations and other Indigenous lands on climate, on impact, on your residential neighbors, on the economy, on the transit system, on the sewer system, like endless, endless lists of things that need to kind of go through. So just saying, put housing and it will Mm -hmm. happen. Like we already have piles of approved permits and they're not building them. So we have to ask why. Right. That's the other side of this too, is that, um, there are a number of units that have been approved and we, we people who work in construction will tell you that there are issues in construction beyond just the desire to build things like having the 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 having a, a number of people to build things or the cost of supplies and things like that yeah i want to talk about some of your other priorities i'm not going to name them because although i did look over your politico questionnaire last night just to sort of refresh things i'm not going to ask you to remember promises you made two months ago after everything that's happened but I, I wonder if you have given thoughts about how you want to sort of turn maybe the the important things to you in, into a reality, even if they're not on the council agenda. Have you started to give that any thought? Well, a lot of the things that I want to do aren't actually up to council to do at all. Like, mm. in, like aside from the infrastructure pieces and stuff like that. Like, um, I, I think that being a counselor puts you in a unique position where. Um, like if you want to volunteer your time to be the coordinator between a bunch of different groups and then try to help them get spaces in city owned zones to do the things they need to do to help um, wealth, then that's the time to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, Like there's a lot of pieces in terms of getting food to people um, that I want to kind of move forward. And this is one of the things I was talking to, um, uh, Dan about uh, I want to try to get like kind of pop up farmers markets in different locations and have groups like um, food.ca and the seed and other markets to kind of be in those spaces so that we have a sliding scale produce option for people where those who can afford to pay the full prices are helping and then those who can't in the same neighborhood are going to get the benefit of those subsidies. Right. And especially throughout Ward One, there's not a lot of places to shop. So we're mm-hmm. just discussing the different areas that that could be possible and working with our school partners potentially to have some like weekend markets and school gyms and things um, just to kind of give options that don't really exist right now mm-hmm. and have the local groups who are doing those and the farmers um, actually get them a space to sell their stuff. Hmm. That would be interesting. And of course, um, city space uh, or city owned space um, would be an issue because there isn't uh, a lot of that. It's, you know, so schools, I mean, that's, that's why you would be looking at schools is there isn't city yeah. of Guelph facilities everywhere. So, yeah. Yeah. Like there, there's also like the community groups like um, Green Shell East and, and some right. of the other folks. 
And then um, as weird as it might feel in the beginning, but like the library, you know, it wouldn't be a huge <laughs> market. It would be like a couple of different tiny booths sort of thing. But there, there are some spaces and recognizing the holes in the mm. neighborhood is a good mm-hmm. part there because you can kind of see where we ne- need to kind of rely on different partners um, because we don't have a, a spot there for people to go. Mm-hmm. So just to remind people, uh, as we're recording here on Monday, you are still technically a counselor elect or a counselor designate. I'm not sure what the exact term is. I think they're interchangeable. Yeah, counselor, but... counselor elect. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're getting sworn in officially tomorrow night. So what are you excited about um, in terms of becoming a, a city councilor? And what about becoming a city councilor is maybe making you nervous? Um. Well, just getting to be able to help, right? Because <laughs> um, like, it's I, I've been trying to help just as a person for a long time, <laughs> but you have a lot more sway when you're a city councilor, right? And so I want to be able to get in there and start asking questions, and um, you get to be on different committees and boards when you're a city councilor, and that's something that you don't have access to otherwise, right? And um, everyone's kind of got like pieces that they want to do and I don't know exactly where I'm going to end up but like I super want to be on the public health board (laughs) (laughs) there's uh, a lot of things that I think that I could um, give perspective on in those meetings Mm -hmm. Um, is that what you're excited about or what you're nervous about oh I'm excited about that okay (laughs) then what makes Uh, you nervous It makes me nervous. I'm trying to think. Not a lot of things make me nervous. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited by challenge, right? Like I'm not like a conflict adverse kind of person. So like even that kind of seems fun to me sometimes. Um, but I think that it's more about not being able to do the things that I wanted to do, right? Mm. Like there are things like this bill that's upcoming that, kind of takes focus from everything else that we could have started moving on. And then you have to kind of deal with those fires and put the other things that might be more helpful to the side while you kind of handle them. Right. Right. So I can uh, dig that. I don't want to, like, I think I'm just, the thing I guess, I guess I'd be most nervous about would be disappointing people. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. You mentioned board of health. Um, and I'm curious, um, and I mentioned this in something I wrote for Guelph today, that you know, having someone who identifies as a person with disabilities might change the game when it comes to looking at issues of accessibility yeah. in town. I, uh, you know, do you feel like now taking up that representation, um, like, are 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 you feeling that that might be able to be something you can make reality? That having that representation on a council might change the game. That in, in a way that you and other people have been asking for, especially in the last few years. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, it's, it's not ideal, but mm. um, sometimes having someone who, you know, personally makes a bigger difference than just knowing there's an issue at large. Right. right? Like when you have your first gay friend sort of thing. <laughs> And stuff like that. Like then, and for a lot of people, I'm going to be their first non-binary friend. I'm going to be their first friend who has like a right. laundry list of disabilities. And um, like, for example, we went on a bus tour 
and I usually can't go on the bus mm. because the bus is not accessible to me. And uh, they even like let it air out for two days after they cleaned it with the products they cleaned it, and it was still it's like, still noticeable <laughs> for me. And like they had asked everybody to be sent free and stuff like that, and that was fine. Everyone did really well on those requests. But like those are the kinds of things that they now see happen, right? right? And like even with the two days, like that product was not going to get out of there. And I guess I'm trying to explain to them the different things that will still work instead of those like the peroxide because it turns mm. into oxygen and it doesn't linger, but it still does the disinfecting and stuff. So interesting. It's just yeah. a choice for products, and it, you only know what you know, right? And mm. especially with the disability, like that one. Um, it's not super well known. There isn't a lot of information out there for people to kind of go on. So um, it's just an awareness. Right. Issue, right. But now that they all saw it in an action, then potentially that kind of moves it forward to getting a scent free policy on the bus and changing out the products to be something that's safer for people who have sensitivities to ride on. Right. Well, you are being seen, and, and it was nice to see you here on, on the show as a new counselor. So I'm going to wrap up by just asking you, because uh, we don't usually ask this question on the show, uh, but since uh, you you are new and you have new contact information, I'm just going to ask you to tell uh, your new constituents how people can find you out there on the internet. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to try to remember all my things <laughs> So on Twitter, I am now Counselor Caton. I still have Aaron, but that's going to be a bunch of stuff that's not Guelph related. So if you want just Guelph stuff, Counselor Caton. Also Counselor Caton on Instagram. See, I had forethought there. My Facebook is going to be the same as the one that I was using for my campaign. I'm just going to switch it over because I didn't have that much stuff on there. And and my email is now erin.com. C-A-T-O-N at wealth.ca. Thank you, Aaron Caton, for your time and good luck with uh, the start of the new term. Thank you very much. Okay, so once again, that was Aaron Caton and expect to hear more from them in the future because we have two ward counselors who will, two ward one counselors who will come on the show now. So certainly makes our Achievement unlocked, right? Achievement <laughs> <laughs> <Even> unlocked. <laughs> That's a good way to to uh, wrap up a tech-heavy episode for sure. All right. Well, that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. You can stay connected to us at our website, opensourcesguelph.com. We're on Facebook, speaking of Facebook, at Open Sources Newswire. And we're on Twitter, so long as it's there, at OS underscore Guelph. If you'd like to listen to our show again, you can find it at our website every Monday through the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app on Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter while it's there at Adam A. Donaldson, and that's my address at Instagram, too. And you can find my news and politics site while it's there. Just kidding. At GuelphPolitico.ca. <laughs> too much laughing. Uh, Scotty Hurts on Facebook, which I think is still there. Scotty Hurts on Twitter. No blue check mark, And who knows? <laughs> might have sent me a postcard. And uh, if you're listening to us on the FM right now, stay tuned for Turtle Island Underground at 6 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And Stu, and uh, as Scotty said, stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will be back, of course, next Thursday at 5 p.m. for more open sources. If we're still here. <laughs> if, if we're still here. 
<laughs> Elon Musk could buy us out any moment. <laughs> I, I mean, he, he maybe to silence us. You know how it goes. Anyway, we'll see you next time. <laughs>